0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This is the week of Valentine's Day. Thank you for joining us for Conscious Living. My name is Dawn. And our first article today was published in Intelligent Change, and is titled why self love is the pillar of your life. Whether in a relationship or flying solo self love is one of the fundamental pillars of a happy, fulfilling, flourishing life. Yet it's the aspect that we seem to neglect the most. Let's look into what self love is, how you can benefit from it and how it shapes your everyday life. What is self love? Self-love is a positive emotional belief about yourself built from actions that promote physical, psychological, and spiritual growth. These actions include gratitude, affirmations, positive self-talk, and self-care. Example, journaling, enjoying a hobby, exercising, etc. All these activities help you attain self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-confidence, and finally, self-love. Nurturing self-care, self-love, and self-compassion is not about being self-absorbed. It's also not about putting yourself first without caring for those around you. It's simply about building a healthy relationship with yourself. Self-love is a fundamental aspect of your mental and emotional well-being and a much-needed foundation for building healthy relationships with others. It's about authenticity and deep appreciation of who you are, flaws and all. Your relationship with yourself matters the most because your relationship with others often reflects how you treat yourself. Practicing self-love helps you build a sense of self-worth using our inner resources rather than seeking external validation. This practice gives us the strength and courage to set boundaries, be assertive about our needs, and express our authentic selves. Self-Love Benefits. By understanding the benefits of self-love, we can see how it permeates all aspects of our well-being. Number one, less perceived stress. The demands of modern life are often stressful as we try to juggle our social roles and achieve our professional and personal goals. Practicing self-love can reduce stress by making us slow down, be in the present moment, and look into ourselves with a compassionate and nurturing attitude. One study from 2021 showed that practicing self-care activities could mediate people's perceived stress levels during the pandemic. Another study from 2018 showed that US medical students who engaged more in self-care activities reported having higher life quality. Number two, greater emotional stability and resilience. Engaging in self-love can help us become more flexible, growth-oriented, and resilient by reducing our perceived stress levels and encouraging self-compassion. Awakening compassion towards oneself is a kind and clear-sighted way to feel connected to your identity, even during times of perceived imperfection, sadness, and failure. In other words, when we practice self-love, even during challenging times, we show care, understanding, and compassion to ourselves. We send a message to ourselves that we are worthy of unconditional love, and this constant positive self-reinforcement Then helps drive our growth mindset. Being able to think in terms of growth and perceive failures as valuable lessons and opportunities teaches us to look at every situation and ourselves in it from different perspectives. In the long run this is the recipe for sustaining emotional stability and resilience. Number three, being in control of your life. Engaging in self-love especially during times of uncertainty or prolonged stress can help you switch from an external to an internal locus of control and rebuild your life. The internal locus of control is not about trying to predict and plan everything obsessively. It's about taking the full ownership of your life. People with an internal locus of control experience more autonomy and ownership which also positively influences their emotional stability perceived stress, mental health, and resilience. Number four, clear boundaries and better relationships. When we love someone, we tend to develop a caring feeling towards them. The same works when we love ourselves. We become more confident and assertive about our needs. It becomes more likely that we would stand up for ourselves and less likely that we'll tolerate mistreatment from others. In this case, self-love goes beyond self-compassion self-care, and building self-esteem. It's also about knowing how and when to say no, to set boundaries with others. Personal boundaries are a component of self-love and the key to healthy relationships. We can only become close to others when we know how to be and stay close to ourselves. Number five, increased sense of meaning and purpose. Do you know what is your meaning in life? With daily social roles family responsibilities and our future goals and plans we can forget who we really are taking time to sit down and find what inspires you is a good way to practice self-appreciation and gear your life towards what gives you a sense of purpose and meaning how to practice self-love awaken your self-awareness can you love someone if you don't truly know them if you engage with yourself superficially you will not fully understand your true self and what makes you happy. Becoming more self-aware means learning more about yourself and raising your consciousness. So here are a few questions you can ask yourself. What am I most grateful for in life? What are my genuine interests? How do I express emotions and cope with challenges? What are my self-limiting thought or behavior patterns? What gives me energy and what drains it out of me? Reality can be successfully influenced, designed, and shaped to our liking with decisions, actions, and their consequences. Asking questions, five of them to be precise, provides guidance on the way to self-awareness and greatness. But what are the possible roads to take to find answers? Here are some suggestions. Mindfulness meditation and observing your experience as it unfolds. As you meditate, various physical and mental elements will try to disturb your empty mind. Bring awareness to your thoughts as they come, then let them go. Psychotherapy. One of the surest ways to get to know yourself better and become more self-aware is by talking to a professional who can not only help you navigate through mental health concerns, but also help you understand yourself. Journaling keeping a journal is a fantastic way to reflect on your life and feelings and to get your to know yourself better one of the most significant advantages of journaling is that you can always go back in time and revisit certain moments and thoughts focus on self-compassion being your true self as well as achieving your goals and dreams requires discipline sometimes we tend to associate the word discipline With deprivation and punishment, when in reality, being disciplined means staying true to your authentic self and following your values, interests, and goals in every given moment. It's not much about having more or less willpower, rather being committed to long-term progress and taking ownership of the decisions you make on what matters to you. On the journey of being authentic, we may be tempted to fall back into self-limiting beliefs and use negative self-talk, In such moments, we need self-compassion and self-love the most. When we can be true to our nature, we send a message of love and respect to ourselves. Many of us struggle with finding our voice and way of expression. It's crucial to know who you are, own your story, and define your values to find your authentic expression. Next up, it's Seven Habits to Strengthen Your Relationship by Alex Mathers published in Intelligent Change. Love is a verb. It's meant to be acted on. Small, mindful behaviors, especially when repeated consistently, can significantly affect your relationships. We're either cycling upwards in growth or we're in a downward spiral of self-sabotage. Let's take a closer look at different habits that can strengthen your bond and nurture connectedness with people you care about. Judge less, connect more. We all come to relationships with preconceived ideas of how things should be. We can become annoyed and resentful when things fall short of these expectations. One typical example is having the expectation that a good relationship should mean that you share common interests. But what if we learn from each other's differing passions? When we judge another person for being incompatible with us, we miss seeing them as a whole human. When we take away our judgments, we're left with pure connection. This is what a strong relationship is built upon. Genuine communication and ongoing dialogue is the ultimate key to a real life happily ever after. Be honest. If we need to lie to avoid confrontation or minimize the fear attached to being ourselves, the relationship simply couldn't flourish. It may seem tactful to lie, but this comes at a cost. Your partner will know in their gut when you're doing it but it also diminishes your own confidence. No happy people are dishonest and no happy relationships consist of unhappy people. Uplift each other's mood. A strong relationship is an exercise in working together to continually inspire each other, support and lift the mood. Life isn't always easy. And if you are to share that experience with your significant other, you need to work together to ensure you both focus on the good. Take the initiative and bring lightheartedness into the equation. Even if circumstances suggest otherwise, relationships are a ship, and if they aren't continually steered towards joy, lightness, and fun, they might sink. Actually, listen. Most human beings can so easily become wrapped up in their own problems, challenges, or day-to-day life that they forget to direct their attention towards others. Relationships always struggle when other party is too self-absorbed for too much of the time the other will feel underappreciated detached and become frustrated the way to connect more deeply and ease your self-consciousness is to become more mindful focus on what others say and actually hear them instead of simply listening show that you care this is easy to do when you become fully present after all genuine communication and ongoing dialogue is the ultimate key to a real life happily ever after set the example Many relationships can struggle when either member falls into destructive habits, affecting their health and general mood. When moods are low, connections can fray. Maintaining good physical health and a healthy mind is important, yet it's also difficult to make others want to change for the better. The best you can do is commit yourself to positive, rewarding habits and inspire those around you. If those people struggle to rise with you, at least it's a good indication that this person might not be ready yet for your growth. Be a light-hearted challenge occasionally. Trying to compete with a partner defeats the point of a fun, relaxed, and enjoyable relationship in which you fuel and support each other gracefully. But to always be in agreement and never tease the other takes the humanity out of our friendship. If pushback is to happen, make sure there is a playful element to it. The relationship should reflect growth, not stagnation and mature adults are happy to playfully tease one another in this process. The relationship should reflect growth, not stagnation. Do random acts of kindness. Let's get something clear. Some people choose being incessantly nice as a manipulative strategy to gain approval, and this is a recipe for disaster. Always stay honest to who you are and act in alignment with your values. This is why when you do occasionally share a gift, or do a random act of kindness without expecting anything in return, this will be felt as more genuine. Sometimes what people really want is to be acknowledged and loved, and kind words said with honesty, quality time spent together, and mindfully organized experiences can be the most valuable and precious gifts. And lastly today, a modern love column titled Two Kisses We Never Talked About. Sometimes you really have to show up for your ex. This was one of those times. By Alessandra Ranelli, published February 3rd, 2023. Kevin and I separated two years ago. Only on paper do we remain married. With time and a lot of therapy, we managed to find our way into genuine friendship. And I know many people can't say that, but as Americans living abroad in Vienna, we haven't felt a need to officially end our marriage. We keep good boundaries, except for one Monday last January, when I took him out to celebrate his new job. After a few too many spritzes, we tripped home. In front of the U-Bahn station by St. Stephen's Cathedral, at the top of the escalator, Kevin kissed me goodbye, first on the cheek, then on the lips. No tongue, nothing wild. He said it was out of habit and technically, we're still married. I said goodnight and that I would pick him up from his colonoscopy on Friday because that's a job for your technical still life. So Kevin kissed me on Monday and found out he had colon cancer on Friday and we never talked about the kiss. The cancer was stage 3B, which is an alpha numeric code you can Google if you are in the mood to read a long list of heartbreaking numbers. Here is another heartbreaking number. Kevin is only 31. I have too much experience with cancer, not my own, but the cancer of so many friends and family that I have lost count. My mother died of pancreatic cancer when I was 19. This experience has made me terrific in an emergency, good at answering middle of the night phone calls, used to having my name screamed for help. I was built for this situation. I was made to be there for him. After getting the news, I went to Kevin's apartment where we called his mom. I was Kevin's only family here. She got online to renew her passport and found an apartment to rent for her. I didn't say it out loud, but I knew I couldn't be the wife anymore. I could be the friend, but not the wife. I stayed at Kevin's place that night. We slept in our underwear. It had been a long time since my body was a sensual thing for him. When we were together, he would cuddle at the beginning of the night before rolling over to his side of the bed. But that night we remained in place, the sweat pulling between our bodies. I stopped by often in the early weeks for planning and to tell tasteless jokes that kept us laughing until we cried. I stayed with him after the surgery, after the news it had spread. My father flew to Vienna for moral support. Kevin's mom came and took over. She stayed with him after the early rounds of chemo. I sat in my apartment, which had been our apartment, staring at my phone until I fell asleep at 5 a.m. I learned the next morning that Kevin had complications. He woke at 3 a.m. screaming from stomach pain. No one had called me. An ambulance was called. Pain medication was given. The doctors had no idea what was happening or why. His mother stayed until her visa expired. Then it was my turn to watch him after chemo. I prepared to be the person who maybe would have to call an ambulance. I recalled the morning when I woke to my father's screams, when I held my mother convulsing in my arms, when she spit foam into my elbow. The morning she turned blue and I begged her to breathe and I begged her to stay with me. To be fair, every cancer is different and every love is different. To be fair, she did stay with me for a little while. Kevin told me that the pain typically lasted five minutes. Our plan, to do our best to avert it. If it happened, he would scream into a pillow while I would set a timer. I said if it ticked a second past five minutes, I would call an ambulance. I never got a chance to set the timer. Just before 9 p.m., Kevin took a sleeping pill and changed into pajamas. I washed a few dishes, a skill I was better at as a friend than as a wife. I changed into my nightgown, removed my underwear, and realized the clean pair was in my bag. I was brushing my teeth when Kevin called out from the other room. I dropped the toothbrush and ran. Then, as per the plan, Kevin screamed. He gasped and curled into a ball. I would offered him the pillow, but he couldn't hold it. Then he stopped breathing. I called 144, the Austrian equivalent of 911, and gave militarily efficient information about his conti- condition and our location. A minute later, Kevin's body relaxed, the arch in his back gave way, and he made a horrific rattling sound. Then he breathed again, choking air into his lungs. He seemed oddly fine. I grabbed the emergency bag, put pants on him and waited for the EMTs. This was a year ago during another wave of COVID. I was triple vaccinated and had recovered from COVID within 30 days with a certificate to prove it. And I had a 24 hour old negative PCR test and I was legally married to the man on the gurney but they still wouldn't let me in the ambulance. So I watched it drive away. I ordered a taxi and called a friend while I waited. I did not cry. When the taxi delivered me, I got out of the car and realized I was standing on the street in the cold, wearing only a nightgown and no underwear. The terrible reality of the world is that in any love story, there are two options. You break up or someone dies. Death is the celebrated scenario, exalted in traditional vows. We wrote our own, so I never agreed to the whole until death do us part thing. And yet, here I was anyway. There was a moment early on in our relationship when Kevin visited me in New York. He woke up one morning with the light from my bedroom window shining in his eyes, making them crinkle, and reached out his shaky hands to grab my face. He looked like this little old man. And in that moment, I could see our whole story play out, the celebrated scenario and all. So maybe I did agree to it then. Kevin survived the night. For his fourth round of chemo, they admitted him to the hospital. By then the chemo was affecting his cognitive functioning. I sent him a list of all the things to bring. He forgot to read it. That afternoon he texted, could you bring me a phone charger? I was annoyed, but I brought it because I would need to know if Kevin was still alive. And to do that, I needed him to have a working cell phone. I asked if he needed anything else, and he said no. I brought him a bag of food anyway because hospital food is terrible and he wouldn't be in the mood to eat after chemo, but would wake up hungry later, and because I am trained for this. I couldn't enter the hospital without a negative PCR test, so we stood outside of the entryway among the smokers and security guards. It was cold, which triggered his neuropathy, a lovely side effect. I stood there with my not-husband and gave him his phone charger. He took the snacks and said, you're the best. I told him to check that I was still his emergency contact. I kissed him on the cheek and then briefly on the lips, and we never talked about the kiss. I went to a bar four blocks away, ordered a whiskey sour and stared at my phone, begging it not to ring. I had just rearranged my entire day to bring my ex-husband a phone charger. I had already reminded him not to forget. An exchange that took all of five minutes and now here I was, annoyed and alone. But if you lose someone you love, as I may soon lose Kevin, you will kick yourself for missing out on the five minutes you could have spent standing outside of a hospital entrance in the freezing cold among the smokers and the security guards. So, find the people you want to be around, and be around them. Invent a ridiculous excuse to spend an afternoon in their company. Go shopping for scotch tape, watch them buy groceries, whatever, Call the person you love most right now and say, I have to buy ink cartridges for my printer. Would you like to come along? This is the Audio Information Network of Colorado. Thank you for joining us for Conscious Living. My name is Dawn. We invite you to please stay tuned for our next program and please have an excellent week. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at